Here's the headline. It says, women swinging umbrellas at other women. Red hot North Texas real estate market is driving up prices. We have women swinging umbrellas at other women on sidewalks because they literally are fighting over who is in line first. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars. Welcome to another state of the market episode. I get to get Kimberly Meserve back on here with me today. So you guys that have been listening for a long time, Kimberly is this her third time on the podcast. Her first one was episode 919. That was, you know, I guess it was was it pre-COVID? It was the 30 under 30. So you're crushing it as a first-time home buyer agent. Yeah, it would have actually maybe just like a little under a year ago, I think we did that. Cause I I around this time last year they announced the 30 under 30. And that was the group I won. Yeah. So it probably was. So right at the beginning, I got, I got you on here. We had a fun chat about all of your brews and buying workshops. And then soon after that, doing a, a local workshop at a bar became illegal. And so you had to do some big pivots. We also had you on here last month and we did state of the market. It was state of the market 68, where we had you and four other rock stars on here talking about how to get offers accepted in like the craziest market ever. And now back today for us to talk about the news and we're going to talk about all sorts of fun stuff. So what's the, what's the latest out in Boston right now in general is, is life getting back to some new normal is the real estate market still more competitive than it's ever been. Yeah, it's kind of more of the same, still super competitive. Actually, the interesting thing that we're seeing is we were very much like a tale of two markets for the last year almost because people wanted to leave the city and they wanted to go to the suburbs, take advantage Mm -hmm. of that single family market. And I had been telling clients for like the whole year, the opportunity is in the city. And now even that is starting to kind of get competitive again too. So it'll be interesting to see how this year plays out. That's actually like, that's real news right there. The idea that the demand is coming back inside the city because it's been like that in San Francisco. It's been like that in the city of Austin, just outside the downtown core had high demands, but in the city where the amenities were there, were falling. So is that just the trend, the trend over the last month or two? Yeah, I noticed it over the last month. What, it was weird what was happening. And I a couple of like my listings, I was telling the seller, hey, you know, you're hearing that the market is crazy and you're going to get all these offers in the first day. Like, don't expect that because the market is completely different in the city, like in Boston proper. And then like a couple of times this happened, like 20 days, 30 days in, we would get two full priced offers the same day. And I had this happening with buyers too. They would see something that was on the market a little bit longer and then get a little greedy and then end up getting themselves into multiple offer situations. But yeah, it's, it's starting to be like, like five, six, seven offers instead of like two or three that were close to full price. So um, it's interesting how much things are coming back. And I think a lot of people just even feedback that I'm hearing from listings I have from showings, buyers are seeing that there's opportunity and they want to take advantage of that. And that's creating more demand in the city. Yeah, I could see, I, I mean, buyers want to get houses. When people have written 30, 40 houses, they start giving up. They're literally sending over blank offers to people saying like, hey, just like you fill it out 
a buddy of mine listed his house for sale. And in Texas, we do an option period where you pay a non-refundable amount to have the right to do an inspection, essentially. And it used to be like, all right, for $300, I will tie this property up for a week so I can go do my inspection. And on a four or $500,000 house, they gave him a $10,000 option. So it was like, just to be allowed to do an inspection, here's 10,000 bucks non-refundable. And that's like wired to you. As the, and and for a younger guy, like his first house, he's like, this is awesome. Like 10,000 non-refundable, like what a way to get started wow. as they're getting out there. So, so I could see that those same buyers, if it is that competitive, bringing the demand back from the city, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, no, at first, at first people want something special and then they're like, no, now we just want anything. So we'll yeah, go where people exactly. want. Dude, the article that you sent me is so awesome. The, here's the headline. It says, women swinging umbrellas at other women. Red hot North Texas real estate market is driving up prices. We have women swinging umbrellas at other women on sidewalks because they literally are fighting over who is in line first as they get to the listing. Now, I've seen pictures of like lines out the door, but I haven't seen any fighting yet. I bet, and listeners, if you have, like send me some of your notes about the fights that you've seen. Have you th- seen anything like that yet, Kimberly? no that I mean it's not really funny that they were fighting but it's just it is funny it's like you're hitting each other with umbrellas like come on but it yeah it's wild I've been hearing a lot of this like 80 plus offers it's yeah the, it is <laughs> it's a, a wild time to be a buyer right now and a buyer's agent all right this is actually it looks like it's actually at one of my buddy's offices I gotta I gotta hear about it. so what would you do as the agent if your buyer starts attacking someone else with an umbrella, like, or you know the other agent, right? Because agents are like, and you know, you guys are definitely third parties. Like, if your person starts getting attacked with an umbrella or attacking somebody, what do you do? Do you just like walk to the like, okay, I'm not representing them anymore? I probably would fire someone like that, like a yeah. client like that. It's just I have more than enough clients. I'm not going to act, or I'm not going to work with someone that's going to act like a child. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. What would you do? Yeah, it's almost dangerous. I would totally fire them. I, yeah, I would be like, I cannot, because it's almost like, you just like walk, start walking back to your car. Like, I don't know who's here with them, but I'm, but I am no longer their agent. Yeah, like you, agents are having to work way too hard anyway. Like you said, so being able to also make sure that no one's getting punched or shot or like, you know, like yeah. it, is get, it is getting serious. I think listing agents should do a better job at making sure people are in and out. Right. I guess because they are, because they're, they're doing a pretty good job at like making people schedule separating time in between, but the, but when there's 10 people lined up to see a house, that just seems wrong. Like, especially if they're getting this animated. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it's tough. I've seen a lot of agents in my marketplace complaining about limited windows and that they're doing no showings before the open house and they're only doing a showing one day between or an open house one day between like 12 and two, which it's not really fair to buyers. If you want to see like five houses, how are you supposed to wait in a line and then be expected to get to everything? if All you have is a window between 12 and two, and that's happening on a bunch of different properties. So it's interesting. What would you do? Better question. What would you do if you were the listing agent of that property, managing the open house and people in the line were fighting? Yeah. Right. You notice you look out and all of a sudden there's going to, I think you would have to, because it almost is like the listing agent is the responsible party. Like nobody has authority there. You know, there's time you go places. You're like, well, no, no one's in charge here, but the listing agent kind of is the only one in charge. 
So I could see, I could see the listing agent saying, Hey, we have to cancel this open house or, Hey, we have to cancel these showings right now. Sorry, this is going, everybody needs to get back to their car. You guys can call me to reschedule. There'll be some people at the front of that line that would be very frustrated, but I think an agent can pretty quickly say like, okay, no, text me, no, call me, let people kind of route back through or have people wait in their cars or something. Like, I think that would be one of those things where there could be some sort of a weird liability for a listing agent. I don't think you get to keep the line going or you let it, or you say, Hey, you guys aren't allowed to come in, but I could see that all of a sudden getting crazier. If like two unruly people, if you just single them out. So I think you got to tell everybody, all right, everybody back to your cars, house is closed, shoot me a text and I'll reschedule everybody. Yeah. Yeah, how about you? I'd be like, knock it off or I'm calling the police. I don't, I don't know. You almost have to have like a, some type of like deli meets and stuff like you know when you go to the deli and you get a number it's like take your number this is the order you are in line yeah yeah take your number go wait go wait back in the car or go like spread out or yeah a a number at the take that would that would solve a lot of it now there's probably going to be a new market for that right like the listing agents put the ticker out we actually started doing something similar to that for a couple of like our condo open houses because you can't just have all these people like waiting it's not like a single family where they can just hang out in the yard we like set up a QR code and it brings them to a landing page and then they have to put their info in and we'll text them when it's their turn in the order that we receive them. Dude, that's like a full on what they do at restaurants. Where did you, what software did you use for that? Or did you guys Um, make something? I just found this like random website that will take any URL and turn it into a QR code. And then we use Brivity for our CRM. So you can set up an open house landing page super easily for any of your listings. And it just, instead of like, what we used to do pre COVID would be like an iPad. So like, here's your info, sign in. And now we just have them like take a picture on their phone and it pulls up the form on their phone. And the good thing too, is that we now know we have their correct contact information because we can't text a fake number to tell them it's their time. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's two cool things. You get a, we do that on one of our other businesses where we sell foreclosure data. We, we, we put up a a sign with QR code for people to register. We used to hand out booklets at these things and they would write down their contact info and it wasn't always true true contact info but that was one thing we did with covid it was you did the qr code they put their info in now they show the person yeah i got the text message or it texted to me to get that but that's pretty brilliant i bet you're gonna get a couple calls from people saying hey how do i how do i set that up that would solve a lot of it um and maybe your your first response is probably better to tell people hey like in line like knock it off or I'm calling the cops, or you're getting out of line, or we're starting over. My maybe my example is a little too extreme of kicking everybody out and coming back, but that's <laughs> get there. Let's see. There's so many fun articles as we get to look at one of the. Okay, yeah. What are you going to follow up the umbrella article? With? There, I'm not. I have like ten <laughs> articles up here. I'm like none of those are going to be as good. A, I have something interesting. So I, I you know, two two personal things that happen that I think people should know about. So we have we own a lot of rentals. And we have had several people not pay any rent in the last nine to 10 months. And then the government said they were going to be paying, you know, rent for people. And so we still have not, we, up until today, we had not received any of that. So we had been encouraging uh, residents. So we were not allowed to evict them for non-payment, but nothing was forcing them to go apply for the free money, which was really tough because we were saying, because we would say like, Hey, go fill this out and you can get rental assistance. And nobody, and they were like, well, I don't have to, right? If you're not going to evict me anyway, I don't really have to. We finally got the residents to, we, we did essentially all the work for them. We were like, here, click this link. We'll come to your house. We'll help you, whatever you need. We, and after like months and months of trying, we just got our first check that was, to, that was sent to us from a local city to pay 
all of the back rent for a person for the last few months plus through May. So now the, the, essentially like six or eight months of, of rent. And so I was like, wow, that is a, a government program aimed at trying to do that. So that was a lot of effort out there. So any listeners out there that are trying that, that and going through with it, the people still have to apply. So there's a little bit of work, but it was, uh, I kind of thought it was a pipe dream for a while. Like, okay, they're, they're saying this, but we keep applying, we keep trying and it's not actually going to happen. Got our first check deposited. And so maybe there is going to be they one of the news pieces was they extended the eviction moratorium another couple months. Yeah. And- I saw an article that someone was saying they expected that more multifamily inventory would come on the market as a result of that. I, I don't know. What's your thought about that? I think multifamily, I think it's a, I think it depends on the class level of multifamily because there is, I think the, the lower class, the C and D level of multifamily, like the, just, just the lower end apartment complexes, those are getting really high non-pay percentages. So the, I, what I've seen a lot of is like class A, class B, like we've had the tale of two recoveries too. In COVID, there's some industries, there's some working professionals that have not had any pay cuts. They're still at like hundred percent employment and everything's cheaper and they got some stimulus money. And then there's like the, you know, the workers that are service workers, hotel, restaurant employees, the people that really got hurt. So some people are making more money than they ever have because they aren't wasting it on travel and stuff anymore either. And so it's kind of the class A and class B people have plenty of money. They're paying class C. I've seen a lot of vacancies come up. I've seen hotels just getting crushed too. Like the high-end hotels are getting enough occupancy. Low-end hotels are getting foreclosed on. So I bet we will see a lot of multifamily right now starting to get sold. You know, we're seeing single family, like mom and pop owners selling their houses and trying to sell them as occupied because that's like their one investment they have and people aren't paying. But yeah, I could see in multifamily it really hitting and there being some good deals because multifamily is a little less liquid than a house. Like you put a house on the market, you get 50 offers. You put yeah. an apartment on the market, it's not the same deal. Yeah. I mean, who really wants to buy a building that's occupied with non-paying tenants right now? That's not <laughs> right. appealing. Like you're, know- like you're knowing like, hey, this is a value add. So on paper, you can go, I could probably fix this. But are there a lot of multifamily stuff out in Boston? There is. We have a lot of like two to four family unit stuff, um, but a lot of a lot of them have been converted into condos now. So the price is like I was looking at a building yesterday. We just have like these crazy low cap rates because they've always been seen as a stable investment. Like people spend a few million dollars on something that has like a four or five percent cap rate. Um, yeah. But the, the we got crushed in the rental market a lot because of COVID because of universities not going back to school, but we typically have like a very, very low vacancy, but it's crazy. I was looking at comps on an apartment the other day in Beacon Hill, which has always been a very, very desirable neighborhood of Boston and a apartment that would have rented for like $2,500 a month is now renting for like $1,600 a month because there's just the rental market has gotten crushed there. Wow. I could see, yeah. Mil, uh, you know, where there's campus, where there's a lot of students, a lot of things like that. That's a big change. Like that's a, a you know, a, a 30% decrease in rents uh, in the city where it's like, there's still a demand, but that price having to get it down to where people are, are wanting to do it. College housing, I think will probably change forever. Like the, yeah. I mean, I, you know, cause I think they'll, ch- they'll change the perspective or try to reduce their risk or cause there used to be a big challenge to universities to, Hey, the cities would say, you need to create more university housing 
because they're so, they, they put like almost the, the responsibility on the university. Well, the university gets hit the hardest during times like this. And so I think it's going to, in the future, a lot of them are going to go, no, we're, we'd still need half the housing to be normal because a single, because a single family house, you can, you can pivot an apartment. You can't pivot quite the same. Are schools open now? I and mean, there's so many schools in Boston. Are, what, yeah. I don't know like which ones I have been seeing articles that they're slowly bringing people back. It kind of depends on what your major is. Like if you're doing stuff that's like science lab work, you might be back. But if you're doing something that can easily be done from home, you're not back. But I have been seeing some announcements that people will be coming back in the fall. Yeah. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal. But it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about RentReady. RentReady is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many coming. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50, that's Rockstar50, and sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com with code ROCKSTAR50 to get rent ready for only $54. It's really interesting to have some classes back and some not based on, it's just like jobs. Hey, you could do this one remotely, so you're staying remote. And the I think I'd have to imagine students want to get back. Like the fun part about college was not the actual class. The fun part oh, about yeah. college was like being there and the experience. I couldn't imagine being in my 20s. Having that, having that experience that I had taken away would have felt very unfair. Like I'd have been dying to get back. I definitely would have made different choices. I probably would have just gone to like community college or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I and and maybe that's not the, the worst scenario for, for people, but I could see that changing. So you're... So you, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, so you have some listings now. Are you doing a lot of listings right now? I think my business is pretty close to 50-50 right now. We're still very, very heavy on the buyer seminars, but I've been hiring agents. So they're taking on a lot of those leads. So the agents are now, which is, I mean, a year ago, you were it was like 90% buyers, right? And you were working so, like you were doing so much awesome stuff out there. Like I even reached out to you after I'm like, we need to make a course that we can like sell to people to teach them how to do those workshops. I know since then a, a dozen more people have asked you the same thing, but the, like you were working so hard to get those buyer's agents. How did you transition? Like not news related now, but how did you, how did you switch from 
buyers to listings or was it just they started to get the turnaround or did you change part of your business as a result of COVID? I haven't changed anything in terms of what I'm allocating money towards for lead spend or like time for lead generation. It's mostly referrals from other agents. Um, I'm really fortunate to have built a really great network and a lot of people reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I, I heard that you were a great agent to help out in Boston and I've got this client. So I've just been really lucky in that sense. Honestly. That's- yeah, that is very cool because the, especially it's, it's because buyer's agents are working a lot harder right now. And at least being at that 50-50 and you being able to make that transition by being essentially, you were just a really, really good buyer's agent and people liked you and the, and you weren't hitting anyone with umbrellas and lines and the, and it, and it helped. And neither with, were my clients. <laughs> yeah, right. You're like, and I kept my, that's the other thing. If you have a client hitting somebody else, the agent might, you know, tell you, you never get to, to make an, another offer. What's one of these? So an article on uh, in business insider it, i mean it, this, it's i guess it's old news but it's just a $400,000 house got 122 offers in 2 days oh is that the house outside of washington dc yeah and there was like 70 cash offers or something like that what do you do as an agent if that's happening actually one of my friends that's an agent around here had something like that happen over the summer interestingly enough they got like 50 or 60 offers. And this was before you were hearing stories. I feel like this happens a lot in Austin right now. A lot of my friends that are agents in Austin are like, yeah, we're getting 80, 90 offers. And I asked him, I was like, what did you do? Like, how did you handle that? And he was like, honestly, anything under a certain price, we just didn't even look at. Yeah. It's like, you need to filter. I remember in the REO days, there was, uh, you know, you, they would get 10 or 20 offers, right? There was nothing like this, but they would have a separate form people needed to fill out as a attachment on the top. Like, here's the cover form you need to fill out. What's your offer? What's your continue? They kind of said, here's the six or eight important things to my client. So attach your offer, but this needs to be on the front. How much you're paying, what your, you know, due diligence is, how you're paying, that sort of thing. Have you, have you done anything like that? Do they do anything like that in Boston? I think that's, Uh, So a lot of my listings right now have been directly in the city. So it's like exciting if we get two offers, but I did just have a listing that was outside of the city that we had like 10 offers and it was a condo and that was, it was unexpected. I told my clients like, you know, it's a small, small condo outside of the city. And I said, you may get like maybe a couple of offers. And that is something that I probably would implement in my business because I can tell you the most annoying thing for me, at least ever as a listing agent is when you get an offer and every single page of the offer is a separate PDF. Like that drives me absolutely insane. And like, it's because I've spent so much time working with buyers and then having more on the listing side this year is like a really interesting reminder of how some agents just have no clue what they're doing or they're just like not professional. And I'm like, I like, I wanted to just be like, I don't even want to look at this because this drives me insane. Like having all these documents, like different things. Like I just want to see one PDF with all the things in there so I can scroll through and put all the terms into my spreadsheet. But I love that like cover letter idea. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I think probably each seller has, you could even ask your seller, like, what's the most important thing to you, right? And then have that be on the check. So at least, because if you get that 100 offers, I mean, you can't even call all 100 back and say, sorry, we didn't accept your offer. Like like a lot of the a lot of the manners, the common courtesy in real estate gets tough when you've got that many. So the- Well, agents these days aren't even calling when they get 20 offers. Like it's not that hard to BCC everybody on an email and just say, hey, 
we got 20 offers and sorry that it didn't work out. That's true. The, um, when you and I, before we started recording, I was telling you about uh, another piece of news for today. So I open door is, uh, you know, we talked about them on the podcast a lot. One of those eye buyers that are out there. Um, and Texas was one of their active places. I had a house that 18 months ago I bought and I sent to, I would commonly buy stuff at auction and try to save open door one to buy it. Right. Because, and kind of me as a cocky guy, like a cocky investor, it was like, maybe I'll trick them into buying something, right? Like if they're silly enough to pay more than MLS, then great. Like I might as well send it over. And if they offered more than I was expecting, it's like, cool, let's do this thing right now. Well, there was a house that 18 months ago, they gave me like a $215,000 offer on. And uh, it's like, all right, cool. So I put a renter in it, didn't do anything. And I got an email from them this last week without asking for anything. They said, hey, the housing market has gone up. Your property is worth more. You remember this house over here, we'll offer you $405,000 for it cash close in 10 days. And, and it was like, I haven't heard from them in 18 months. I didn't re-ask for a new thing. And so 215 is the last offer. 18 months later, it's 405 getting sight unseen offers. The funny thing that what that did for me though, is I was not considering selling that house. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, you'll pay me 405. Maybe I want to sell it. It reminded me of what there's probably some people out there sitting with some houses, not planning on selling but what if all of a sudden people started showing up and going, hey, here's a here's a cash offer for your house. I know you don't have an agent, but you can stay for 90 days and figure out something else. But it's a it was kind of like they offered me so much. And maybe if I actually put it on MLS, it would sell for more than that. I mean, Open Door obviously thinks it would sell for more or they wouldn't try to offer me 405. But just getting that all of a sudden, here's an offer in hand that, for a house you weren't expecting to sell for this much. It made me think like, I wonder if that would work in the industry right now. Yeah, we, I've been seeing a lot of conversations on different groups about this golden letter. Someone decided to name it. Basically just sell, uh, sending people letters saying, hey, I have a buyer that would be interested in buying your house. And we started doing that. And I kind of targeted the, the first round of letters and we just sent them out this week. So I wish I had re results to report, but I don't yet. Um, we started targeting properties that are not owner-occupied. Um, so like we might have a buyer looking in a neighborhood and we're just going through the tax records and pulling everybody that's non-owner occupied that has owned with a certain, within a certain time frame, um, and just sending them letters saying, Hey, I have a buyer that would be interested in buying your house. Have you thought about selling? Give me a call. Um, I've been hearing a lot of people having good success with that, which is interesting. It, like if you cut out half the deal, it can be a, a really good deal for someone if the money's right. Um, and actually, just back to your point, like you could probably put that house on the MLS and get a cash offer too, just given how much of that is happening right now. Yeah, it's like um, it, it's kind of, with 120 offers, you know, or 10 off, with 20 offers on it, right? Like there's this top point, and where some people are probably like, no, I would still pay the most. I just need to know what it is, or I don't want to have the other competition. Like that golden letter gives you a chance to be like even if you're still going to pay a premium amount, at least you don't have competition. At least you get first run at it. So somebody's like, okay, yeah, what is the offer? And then it's like, well, so here's where we're at. What do you need? Like, let me talk to my client. Like, let's get a, a deal to happen. I, I would predict there's going to be a lot more transactions like that this year because, and, and especially with non-owner occupied with investor properties, getting a, an unsolicited offer. When somebody's living in the house and they love it, it probably does not go, go as far as, Hey, this is a, an investment property. So I think you're smart. I think you're smart by, targeting non-owner occupied. We actually have some software that works for that where people can try to look up, you know, non-owner occupied. It's probably has never been as valuable as it could be right now uh, as you bring that up. 
So let me see some, it's, what was some of the other fun stuff that I found in there? So, you know, Inman signed out, Kata, Keller Williams hires four new top executives, you know, and then Compass is going. Uh, oh yeah, Compass IPO. Yeah, they're, they're doing the IPO now. And they said there's a lot riding on that kind of looking at the way Wall Street values Compass compared to like Zillow. Because mm-hmm. they're putting so much money behind all these tech companies. And um, but then Compass's IPO is coming out. But have you been following along in that at all? A little bit. Um, I think it's interesting, especially, I mean, I'm slightly biased, obviously, because I'm with Keller Williams. Um, yep. But it, I, we, Gary Keller has always had almost no debt. He started, I think he had a $40,000 loan when he started Keller Williams and then paid it all off. So we've always, we've always been a debt-free company. And to see, I'm very curious to see what a company that has a ton of debt um, in comparison will how they'll perform with their IPO and how people will value that because that definitely will be a game changer for the industry. I think. Yeah. Well, it's like they're, tr- so companies with debt are traditionally like technology companies, but my understanding of compass is it's, it's, it's a brokerage, right? It's not, it's not a, it's not a big tech company. Is it, am I right they, about that? Yeah, they, well, they call themselves a tech company. Um, I know a little bit about compass because they had kind of approached me. Yeah, I bet. Last- <laughs> not actually not last year, the year before and put together like a recruiting package for me. I don't believe any, and it's, of course this is my knowledge from like two years ago. So some of it could have changed. Nobody hold me against this. I don't want to hear from compass agents saying I'm wrong, uh, but yeah. I don't think any of their technology is proprietary. I think it's, they've just bought different products and kind of to, for lack of a better word, like bolted them together. So I don't, but I think they do call themselves a tech company can like, Ten billion dollar valuation. They're hoping. So the news, the news that hit it today said they cut their IPO range. They were originally going to come out between twenty three and twenty six a share. They're coming out with eighteen to nineteen a share instead. And the biggest news that kind of Bloomberg and uh, New York Times all said is is everybody should pay attention because in the next couple of weeks it's going to show us what big how big companies value different real estate types. Essentially, how would they value a real estate company with a ton of debt? compared to a Zillow compared to one without interesting to watch. There's so many different ways that people that like real estate companies are run right now. I just interviewed a guy that he does like a, you know, a team model where people are on his team for a certain amount of time, but then after two years, they get moved to the brokerage. So they get a bigger split because, because usually what happens is people get really successful and then they no longer want to be on a team. They're like, all right, I'm going to go be on my own now. And so he had some interest. There's so many structures out there. I thought that one was fascinating. Um, one of the Bloomberg ones says strong demand and squeeze supply push home values to records, but it's like now they think that it's actually becoming uh, home prices are set to go higher, obviously. Out of that, an inevitable increase in interest rates. Now we're starting to get worried um, about what might happen. So Redfin said the typical American house price keeps hitting record highs. The rise is concerning. Now, I think it says house prices keep going up. It's, it's, it's concerning the fact that, you know, when interest rates, it's concerning how much prices have risen during the pandemic. When the pandemic is over, purchasing, purchasing a home is going to cost much more than ever before. And so when certain Americans are finally getting their jobs back, now will they be priced out of a future? I think I, that's a really good point. I actually don't disagree that it is concerning. I just don't see what's going to be a big catalyst in changing everything unless interest rates just go absolutely nuts, which I don't. I think it's going to be a slow and steady thing. But the problem is that the delta between the average income and the average home price is increasing. And so affordability becomes a big issue. 
Yeah, I think that the... I think affordability is an issue. You know, the Fed had said there's a couple different articles that where the Fed has said, no, we're going to keep, we're going to keep the interest rates near zero for a while, even though there's, even though they've been like, yes, inflation is coming, but we can still keep rates low. But when, uh, so yeah, if rates stay low, we, I mean, we looked at that thing on our last podcast you were on where it was like, Hey, you can actually, even though prices have gone up 20%, you can actually, it's actually cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's actually a you know, lower payment. Um, but yeah, by the time it does, I don't see anything changing it either. I've, you know, for a guy that always buys, you know, foreclosures and bank, I, I'm, I'm almost always been buying during down markets. And I like to predict different like downturns. And for the longest time, I've thought like, no, there's a correction, no, there's a correction. And now with so much government intervention, I'm like, I don't see anything that will be a catalyst to, if, I mean, if COVID couldn't crush a market when it crushed so many different things, I don't see anything that's, and when it happened, I'm like, okay, that there it is. Now the market's going to crash. And it sure didn't. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything that's going to change that in the future. I know it's wild that we're like just over a year into this. Because I remember this time last year, just that uncertainty and panicking being like, what is going to happen? Yeah. Uh, little did most of us know that we were about to have like our best years yet. Yeah, I mean, not the easiest. Best years um, transaction-wise. I mean, tr- number of transactions. It was funny too, because it's, for a while, I thought it was everybody upsizing. Right. Like everybody's like, no, I've been stuck in this house for a while. I need more room because of COVID. Now it's more like, I think it's a mixture of upsizing and also downsizing or change or people that are just like, Hey, let's, let's move cities now. Or let's like, people are just tired of being in the same place because they're spending so much time in their house. Are you still seeing mostly ups like people upsizing or have you seen, are you seeing both? Uh, I'm seeing a mix of stuff, people selling their investment properties, people, we, I mean, we have so many first-time home buyers, so they're not really upsizing. It's That's just, true. it's a mix. I think the interesting thing that has changed a lot of that, like to, to your point of like people wanting to just move and be somewhere different is working from home. A lot of companies are going to be doing like three-day work from home type of things. And that changes things a lot when you don't have to worry about as much time. Like if you if you have a long commute and you're doing that five days a week, that's a lot of time spent just commuting. But if you only have to do that two days a week, that changes things a lot. And it gives people more flexibility of where they can live. And if they're able to work remotely all the time, then they can go buy a van and travel around the country or something. Yeah. That's like a secret goal of mine. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, that's going to happen. As you you grow your team and keep hiring people, you're like, no, now I'm going to do it. I'm never say never. Anyway. The, it's I mean, I, I love uh, when I lived on the West Coast, I loved going and most of my business was in Texas, but I lived in California. I loved going to Hawaii because then there was a five hour time change. So I could be there. I could work. I could get up really early in the morning, work from like four to six, four to seven in the morning. And the and my day would be done in Texas and California where my workers are by then. So I could spend the rest of the day kind of just having fun. And now, yeah, you can. You can live in a van, you can go hiking, you can go do whatever. And and now it's also just socially acceptable. Whereas I've, I've been doing a lifestyle like that for a few years and there'd be, a, and I would have some people kind of give me a hard time. Like people I was in business with different times are like, Hey, like, is that really fair that you're out doing this or that you've set up this lifestyle or like, I can never get a hold of you. There was like frustration, but now it's like, no, you can, you can work from home. You can work from anywhere. Kids can walk in during podcast interviews. Dogs can like, it's, it's everybody's everything's socially acceptable now. Yeah, it really is. The, are restaurants open yet out there? 
they are opening. I'm sad that we've actually lost a lot of restaurants. A lot of like really good restaurants are not opening back up. So I'm just curious to see how it's going to play out in terms of like social, like are people not going to be in the city as much or restaurants going to open back up like new restaurants going to fill those spaces or is it going to change the scape, the scope of like commercial real estate? I don't know. I don't know either because it's, I think people still, I think there's still people that aspire to have a restaurant someday. And I think there's still people that have good ideas, but man, it's just so much scarier. So I can see them being so much more skeptical now or so much more careful where it's like, yeah, I want to do that. But feeling like I can't think of another time in any of the history that I've studied where someone's ability to run a business was just taken away completely outside their own control. Like um, I know several businesses that were very successful restaurants. I mean, it's so hard to be a successful restaurant anyway. Most restaurants already fail. So hard to be a successful restaurant. But but at, at the point now, there's restaurants that have been successful. They did figure it out. They were making lots of money. They were doing great. And an outside influence like this just shut everything down. Like, yeah, restaurants that had like 20, 30 year runs just decimated. Dude, that's crazy. Well, and you're also like being a university school at the different places I went to school, there were there were like these these staple restaurants that were there essentially for the students loved them. You know, when you when you first went to school, all the older students would say like, hey, this is where you go. Like, I think we talked about student housing earlier, but there's probably got to be some restaurants out there in these college towns that, you know, students were their only ones. And there's no way they could have, like, yeah, they found new new markets. Yeah, there's been some, like, of the, the divier bars that are in more college-focused areas that have just shut down. Yeah. I got, there's a buddy of mine that lives in Maui. I first met him. He was a server at a restaurant that was also a real estate agent. And we've chatted quite a bit. And so when I'm checking in with him, I'm like, hey, is the restaurant open yet? I can't wait to get back out there. He's like, well, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going back to that industry anymore. He's like, I'm full-time real estate now. Like at the time, it would have been impossible for some of those guys to leave the service industry because they were making so much money. And then now it's like, no, they've experienced this new lifestyle. And so now even when it gets back open, they're- That's actually a good segue into, did you see the article? It was like- not this past weekend, but I think it came out like the Sunday before in the Wall Street Journal about how there's more real estate agents in the country now than there are houses for sale. Yeah, the I I did see that, and that was that first. Like I was shocked. I was shocked when I saw that because you're like, I wonder how much are actually active real estate agents because you can have a light because I think there's probably a certain percentage that I think for a long time there's probably a certain percentage of people that had licenses that weren't active that maybe there was more agents. But I think right now it's probably like there's probably more active agents, like people trying to be agents, trying to do deals. The And it's really easy to do the math in places like if you're getting 50 offers on a house, like in places like Austin, there's like probably 800 houses on the market. And, you know, I, I got to see what the I'm going to look up really quick. How many do you know how many are on the market right now in uh, Boston? I think in our whole service area, there's about condo, multifamily and single family. And there's about 3,400 properties for sale. 30, yeah, and there's definitely way more agents than that out there when you think about it. Yeah, there's actually, I know a couple of people trying to take the test and there's a big backlog with the state right now for testing because so many people have just gone, they took the opportunity and looking to get into real estate, so. Yeah, heck of a time for people to, It's but I also, I've interviewed a few people that got their license in the last, I interviewed a guy a couple of days ago, he got his license nine months ago. 
Wow. I mean, and he's on the podcast because he's doing like 30 or 40, you know, transactions in escrow right now. There, as of February, there was 1300 houses on the market in Austin. You know, in May, there was 6,000. Wow. So, a, you know, a year ago, there was 10,000. So, like the average on the, on the market was 10,000. We're at 1300. You're pricing. How about an, artic- an article that I put on my social media that real, that people went crazy over was the real estate commissions fall to new lows as homes fly off the market. Now, that headline sounded horrible, but then they were like, hey, the average commission isn't 5% anymore, it's 4.6. Well, to me, I'm like, okay, that's not that big of a deal when you're talking about the, you know, the, the iBuyers and things like that. Have you seen any commission squeeze in your market? Have buyer's agent commissions been changing? Anything like that? No, it's always been... We've actually always been kind of lower here. Um, And I used to have, when I got into real estate, I used to work in Southern Maine in New Hampshire. And typically the buyer agent split was a little bit higher there, but I've never felt a pain point of it because our average price point is so high. Um, I did see one like a couple weeks ago that was sub 2%. And I was like, Ooh, but I haven't really noticed it becoming a trend. I think it will be interesting to see because some of that also gets balanced out by higher prices, right? So when it's a percent, are we going to notice it? I also think companies like Zillow, some of these tech companies are going to start to put pressure on how much money we're making. And it might cause some people like, it's going to cause some people to have to be more responsible business owners, because we often talk a lot about like how much GCI you're making or how much volume you're doing, but we don't talk about profit a lot. And Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see when the tide goes out. What do you think is a good profit margin for GCI for people? Like what should be a it goal depends. on these small teams? It depends on what you're doing for business, right? So there's no, I think there's no one blanket statement. If you're doing like a few million in GCI, you're probably going to have a little bit lower of a profit margin because you have more administrative people, more salaries. So I've always been a big, I mean, again, Keller Williams, but I've always kind of followed like the MREA budget models. Okay. The, and what, and what would those budget models say for profit? Do they have profit goals or is it more like you do um, your bottom line stuff? It's budget models of like how much you should spend for different categories, what your profit should be based on what your GCI should be. Okay. Um, it, yeah. If anybody wants to reach out, I can share some of those models. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. They could, you'll be, you'll be way better able to explain it to them than I will. Yeah. What a, so with commission squeeze, when I posted it, I said, Hey, I imagine there's going to be way more of this, especially on the listing side. So I said, especially on the listing side, because when somebody's getting 80 offers, those are the guys who are like, I should just put a for sale sign in my yard and sell it and not pay the 5% commission. And the other arguments come in, they say, yes, but if you have a good agent, it's going to sell for 5% more than it would. And I, and I agree with that. I believe that agents, I believe the hundred offers drives the price up. I think it's actually going to get squeezed more on the buyer side, right? Because in a bad market where in like a buyer's market where you're not getting that many offers, a lot of times, as much as I hate to say it, like a better commission could be an incentive for an agent to show a house. If they have 20 options to show their client and I think now it's like, oh, we don't have to offer the buyer's agent as much because we know we're going to get offers. Yeah. It was a common thing as a builder. I remember when, when we were having a tough time selling a house, we would raise it to like 4% on the buyer side. We'd be like, hey, buyers, like 
the we're having trouble with this one. Let's just raise the commission instead of dropping the sales price another 10 grand. But the thing that sucks about that, I think right now is the buyer's agents are working harder than they've ever. So I think, I think, I think it is going to get squeezed on the buyer side. I think it's going to get squeezed like crazy, especially when people have Zillow and, and all the other places trying to say, Hey, we'll list it for free or flat rate. And then they, they send, they tend, people tend to lose seeing the value in an agent if they're getting so many offers. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, so, but buyer's agents are working super hard. You know, I, I could picture buyer's agents saying, Hey, this one's only one and a half. The, uh, would you pay the difference? Like people are paying over asking already, or do you put it into your offer where you offer an extra 5,000 more than you would and say, but pay the full commission. Have you, have you thought about that at all? Like what, a, I, that to me seems like a weird conversation, but also a fair one. Like, like, uh, Hey, they're cutting our cost, and, but we're working harder than we've ever done. What do you think the future's gonna hold with that? Uh, that's a good question. I have never been, and I probably, should i don't know i've never been one to like charge someone more commission i i believe in building a really big business and it's not about making more money on one transaction and so for me the conversation would be like hey you know just so you know i'm I'm making less money than i normally would on this transaction do you think you could send me a referral someone that i can help like that's kind of always been my approach is like give me more business not like a little bit more money on this one transaction. How about give me like a couple more people I can make a lot more money on. What a cool way to attack that where the, uh, I hadn't thought about that because I know that because one of the couple of people responded and they said, Hey, I always make my buyers pay a difference right now. And other people didn't. And the, and I was curious about that conversation. I love that idea of saying like, Hey, it's totally okay to share it, but then also going, so, Hey, just send some people my way. So yeah. if you're ha- happy to do this for you, but send more my way. It's that growth mindset of like, no, more is better. More happy people I, is better. Yeah, I've always been like pretty laid back about that stuff. And I, I don't know, maybe, I'm just maybe a little bit too generous with my money. Like I've helped people out when we were at like an impasse on negotiations with like the tiniest little things. And like I know when someone's buying their first house, like to have to spend $500 on something might be a big deal for them. But for me, I'm just like, it's not a big deal. So I'm happy to help you out or like I'll, I'll hire that electrician and pay for it on your behalf. And whenever people come back to me and they're like, thank you so much. Like that was so kind of you. I'm like, Hey, don't worry about it. Like if you hear of anybody that we can help, like send them our way. Like, I don't know. I just think having an abundance mindset and like, just there's more than enough to go around. That is awesome. I love I love that as an answer because I also had plenty of me- uh, agents message me and tell me that they hated me and they didn't want me to even post. And I'm like, I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you guys the article that commissions are getting crushed. Yeah, I am not. I, see, I am not the one doing it. I see like in Facebook groups, people like people will like die on the hill of like a couple thousand dollars in a transaction. And I'm just like, I don't want to, I value my time. I don't want to start all over with this person. If it takes me like pitching in a little bit to get it done for them, like I'm more than happy to. Especially, especially now. I mean, you said you've had that, you know, everyone's had, a lot of people have had the best year of their lives transaction wise, but it's been a ton of work, a ton of transactions. And the, you're having to write so many offers for so many, you have to have more clients like one of the solutions to get your offers accepted is have more clients you're writing offers for because there's different things out there. Well, we're, man, that hour sure went by quick. The, uh, of us getting to chat here, the, tell me about your, um, so right now you're hiring out in, in Boston right now. You've got like your team, like you said at the beginning, you used to do all those buyers agent stuff. Now you're getting some other side of it. What are you, how are you still, are you still hiring right now? Yeah. So we're looking to bring on five more agent partners by the end of 
the second quarter, which is tomorrow it starts. So yeah, I mean, anybody, honestly, if you are looking to get into real estate, if you just got licensed, reach out. Like we have a lot of really wonderful training systems in place, people for you to contact. Like we, I like to believe that we're a really high value team and that you're getting what you put into it out of it. So I'm more than happy to have a conversation with anybody, even if it I'm not the right fit, I might be able to point you in the right direction. And you're like, I, I want to say Boston area because I don't really know the area, but how, but how big is that area? What areas are you trying to hire people in? So right now we cover everywhere within an hour of the city. So the greater Boston area, um, we do have some, exciting like expansion plans for the future, but not ready to announce that quite yet. But in the more immediate need is to hire some agents in the Boston area. That's awesome. Now you're going to get just as many people that are just outside an hour being like, come on, Kimberly, give me a hint. Let it, let it <laughs> if you're just outside an hour, let's still talk. Yeah. Let's, let's have those conversations. We'll yeah. Listeners, the, I mean, there's, and there, so what's the best way for people to find you? They can text me that's probably the easiest my my parents gave me a name that's hard to spell because they decided they should spell it differently and so i'm not going to spell out my email but you can put it in like the show notes or something they can email me my phone number is 978-587-6489 text me dm me on instagram whatever i'm pretty easy to find yeah. You and I chat on Instagram a lot. You're always, um, yeah, if you guys are on social and you don't follow Kimberly, she does, especially she, she, you sharing everything you're sharing buyer tips. You're sharing what people are, what you're doing to grow your business. You're sharing stuff to the people that are thinking about hiring you as an agent. Like it's so well-rounded providing value for people thinking about real estate and everything else. So, well, we'll definitely have to have you on again soon so we can talk about the news some more. That was totally fun. And, um, any, any final thoughts for anybody out there? Don't work with people that will hit other people with an umbrella. Boom. That is the best final thought. Yes. Do not hit someone with an umbrella. Don't work with people that do. Kimberly, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. All right. Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com 
for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at AaronAndMuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.